0: Hey, this is Amy Impelizari, and welcome to Tall Poppy Writers Presents I Know How This Book Ends, where we find out the story behind the story of the biggest books out this year. Today, I'm talking with Jessica Strauser, the author of the newest novel. Her newest novel is called A Million Reasons Why. It is definitely one of my favorite books I've read this this year and probably in a long time. Jessica, thank you so much for being here
1: Thank you for having me, and that's so sweet of you to say. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you liked I it. I told you, Jessica, I, I I reached out to
0: Jessica the minute I finished the book, and I told her I literally was emailing you through tears. I just, the tears represented a combination of emotions. I just think this book is really, really amazing. We're going to talk about it, but before we get to A Million Reasons Why, this is not your own only novel, and this is not your only gig, right, Jessica? So Jessica's the editor-at-large at Writer's Digest, and she's been at writer's digest for a long time. And I want to talk about, I want to talk about that gig. And I also want to talk about your journey to writing your own novels. A Million Reasons Why is your fourth novel. Your first, your debut novel came out
1: in 2015. Am I right about that? 2017. Um,
0: 2017.
1: Yes. Yes. But okay. I think I sold it in 2015. You know, debuts that's, take a long time to come out. So maybe that's what you saw. That might be what yes, you're thinking that's, of. Right.
0: So, oh my gosh. So you really have been putting out a book a year since 2017. That's Just really about, amazing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's go back. Let's talk about your journey to publication and your journey to writing. So Writer's Digest was kind of your first gig right out of college. Is that
1: right? Yeah, I will. And for anyone know, uh, listening who is not familiar with Writer's Digest, I guess we should say it is yeah. a magazine for people who are interested in becoming writers or who already are writers and are interesting, interested in growing their careers. So. It covers all sorts of writing, journalism, short form, long form, novels. um, And it's a combination of craft advice and advice on how to get published. And it's been around a really long time. It was founded in 1920 here in Cincinnati, where I live.
0: That's amazing. That's an amazing history, actually. I didn't realize that. Um, Yeah, it's been around a long time. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, for us, for for writers and people in the industry, I mean, it is sort of our go to book and I a go to publication and I often when people reach out to me aspiring writers would be writers who want advice of various kinds i try to answer their questions the best i can and then i inevitably refer them to writers digest so i mean i just think it's a really amazing resource for published and unpublished writers alike and i'm fascinated that you started out your writing career really on that side of the of the page
1: and yeah i kind of started yeah. there and then i ended up there, editorially speaking, um, I was a journalism major. I was a magazine journalism major, which is specific, but that's exactly what I ended up doing out of college. Yeah, how, I got hired. How
0: rare is that, that you actually end up working in your chosen field? So that's a, and, you, well, you must and I Well, really, now I'm a novelist,
1: so, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. But I, yeah, I, I did at first. Um, I worked there for my first few years in the work force and really just learned um so much about publishing I think because of the type of material I was editing learned a lot about publishing in general and then I left the magazine. I went and I worked for a different magazine for a while. I actually ended up working in book editing. Um, I was the managing editor at a few different nonfiction commercial book imprints. Ended up back at Writer's Digest later in my career being rehired as editor-in-chief. And from there, I eventually became editorial director, which had me involved in programming of their annual conferences. And Things like that. It was just, I think all the other types of editing I had done made me better at that job because so much, so much of the content that we were covering had to do with um, people wanting to publish books. And I knew about the acquisition side of that and the publishing side, you know, from the other side of the desk, I had actually worked in that field. So kind of a diverse career that started and eventually ended up at writer's digest. And then I started, I was really fiction writing like at night while my kids were sleeping in the closet for years before I ever even showed a word of that to anybody.
0: That is so fascinating. So at what point, and I think I actually, met you in the virtual space uh, before your first book was published, because I met you in the virtual space in in connection with your position at Writers Digest. And I was president of Women's Fiction Writers Association. And we definitely sort of knew each other from that circle. And then when I found out that you were writing a book, I was so excited and so thrilled. and And it seemed from my point of view and from an outsider's point of view, such a natural segue. But For you, when did that really begin where you sort of understood that that was a new dream that you wanted
1: to pursue? I mean, I think everybody who works on the magazine, secretly or not so secretly, aspires to (laughs) be a published writer in their own right. I mean, everyone who works for the magazine is a writer to some degree. You know, I was always, I was more comfortable in nonfiction and usually writing articles. You know, the cool thing about being the editor of a publication you really like when you're also a writer is that you can assign the best articles to yourself if you want. Yeah, (laughs) right. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. So I was writing a lot of our, um, our, usually we would have a cover story. There's an interview with a bestselling writer or an award-winning writer. I was writing those almost exclusively myself. Occasionally we had somebody else um, contribute one, but I wrote the lion's share of them in my like 10-year run back at the helm of the magazine. And I think, you know, if you're doing that job, you already have the bug, you're already so fascinated by the craft and maybe you've dabbled but not seriously um never really you know finished anything necessarily but I mean I can I really can remember just interviewing some of these people who i had read and admired really my entire life and just thinking I have this dream job because I get to interview you but the only thing better than this job would be your job, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and
0: and but- and these were some really amazing people that you interviewed back in the day. I mean, you know, David Sedaris, right? Alice Walker, mm-hmm. I know, are some of the big cover names that cover story names that you interviewed, were there others that really stuck out in your mind?
1: Those were two of my favorites. And a lot of it was, I read pretty widely, but sometimes I would choose, there would be someone who I really loved and I would just stay on. I mean, there was always a good reason to feature the person, but (laughs) sometimes (laughs) depending on how persistent I was going to be, like I interviewed Ann Ann Tyler, who's always Mm -hmm. been one of my favorites and she's actually really kind of interview shy she doesn't grant Ah. very many interviews um so that was one where had to kind of like keep asking keep nudging and then do it in the format she was comfortable with and lots of commercially successful writers and I think really talking to people who are writing Susan Mallory in romance and then Lisa Mm Scadolini in thriller and David Baldacci in thriller and Brad Meltzer doing, you know, equal parts like adult thriller and then children's picture book and then comics and talking to these people who are doing so many different things, I think really gives you a really interesting knowledge base on, you know, the similarities in their approaches, no matter what they're doing. I really think if, if anybody is a writer and that's what you're doing is you're talking to these people and they're all so inspiring it's really. Did, I think the writing field is a really unique field where you talk to these people who are at the very top, you know, the people who we really yeah. kind of put up on a pedestal, and when you talk to them, they're just regular people, um, you know. And writers and really, are very generous,
0: right? I I, f- I find writers by and large to be very generous people with their with their knowledge, with their experience. I and maybe that's because I come to this business having been a lawyer for many years and they're not, they're not similarly generous. So maybe I'm just contrasting writers, but I don't know. Did you find that when you were interviewing writers that you, did you find them to be by and large, warm and generous with their information?
1: And I, I mean, I'm generalizing, but by and large, Yes. And we're both
0: thinking of the outliers in our brain right now, which we're not going to (laughs) name.
1: What? I I don't know what you're talking about. Um, No, I I think um, I don't know if it's because I think a part of it might be because it is so, so difficult and so hard, hard fought and so hard won to. And so rare, really, to get to that position where, I mean, for a writer to be like a household name is not something that happens to very many people. Correct, <laughs> so when you're correct. talking to these people who, who are a household name, and yet they can so vividly remember... I mean, almost without exception, every single one would talk to me about their early rejections and mm-hmm. the days of really just this seeming like this pie in the sky thing and the days of their family telling them that they were crazy and <laughs> maybe they should get right. a real job. And I don't know if it, those elements of the shared journey are what makes people so much more inclined when they do get to the top too stop and turn around and offer a hand up to the next person, you know, but it's really yeah, something because... that's really special about the writing community, I think. It's
0: so true. And I think it's, it's so fascinating because I always used to say that I had sort of an unorthodox path to publication coming from the law and, and and then startup world and, and doing something kind of unorthodox. However, I've learned, right, that there is no there's no such thing as a traditional or usual trajectory to publication because everyone has a very different story and everyone has something very different. But what we all do have in common are those early rejections, those early, you know, those early sort of shared moments, just like you said. So maybe that's kind of the point of connection between all of us or among all of us. And maybe that's why, you know, some of these really incredibly successful authors are happy and willing to to share those cuz it is everyone has their own story and there it's not like law school or journalism school where you you go and you have a certain major and you have a certain trajectory right and then you you can sort of tell people what that path was it's it's not always like that in publishing
1: and it's also really personal i mean yeah. if you're in publishing you're so used to people saying oh it's a business it's not an art, you have to have a thick skin, you know, and all these, but really writing is really personal <laughs> to the yeah. people who are, who are doing it. That advice, it's well intended to a certain, to a certain point, but yeah, I think everyone who's driven to do this is telling stories that are really personal to them on some level. And they're really driven for reasons that are maybe personal. And I remember interviewing, um, Debbie Makemer, Um, right before the publication of my first novel, Almost Missed You, it was under contract, but I, I don't think it was out yet. Maybe it was about to be coming out or it was just out when she found that out like I think at some point in the interview she was talking about something and she said oh are you also a writer and I said well yeah actually my I have a debut novel coming out next year too so I'm asking all these questions for me as much as for our readers and she stopped the interview Mm -hmm. said Jessica I want to stop this interview right here because we had been talking about how I had young kid my kids were you know toddlers babies at the time and When she started writing, she was in a similar situation. She stopped the interview and she said, I just want to tell you that what you're doing right now really matters as a working mom. And she said, I don't know if I had said something that conveyed that I was that it was a lot to juggle, but I'm yeah. I, moms just know, moms just know. Yes. But yes. like, you know, I have this job running a magazine at the time. I'm in my first contract was a two book contract. So I'm, you're doing what you're doing to promote the first novel. I'm also under a deadline to write the second novel. Um, I've got two really young kids. You're trying to hold it all together. And she just said, you know, she said, I have the benefit now that my kids are grown. And my kids have actually said to me, that watching me work this hard when they were really little was inspiring to them. And it made them want to do really go after some of the dreams that they've gone after in their own life. She was like, so if you feel like you're taking away from your kids, if you feel like you're biting off too much, if you feel like this isn't good for your family, that's not true. I'm here to tell you from the other side of it, that it is totally worth it and that you're doing great, and you're showing them something, you're showing them what it means to go after a dream, and you should stick with it. And for someone like Debbie Makemer to actually wow. stop an interview, and yeah. say something like that, it's a little me who hasn't even, you know, released my first novel, but I really wanted to hear it. I mean, yeah. I really needed to hear it. And I think yeah. that 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 kind of thing really speaks to how personal the work is, writers know, we know what goes into it, and what you're sacrificing. And Thank you so much for sharing that
0: with us because now you've shared that, right? And someone's going to hear that from you via Debbie, you know, or hear it from Debbie via you. Someone's going to hear that that needs to hear that right now. That's really special. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about the reason we're talking today, which is your fourth novel, A Million Reasons Why. This novel, first of all, I think... It's so beautiful that Jodi Picoult endorsed this book. This is a, this is definitely a book for fans of Jodi Picoult and tell us about Jodi, you know, getting her hands on this book and then reading it and then endorsing it. Tell us about that. Oh my gosh. She is one of my favorite writers. Mine too.
1: I am so in awe of what she does and what she can accomplish with a story. And just her level of research. And um, yeah, I think my three previous novels, you know, my, my books have always been kind of cross categorized as women's fiction and suspense. My three mm-hmm. previous novels were shelved often as domestic suspense. And this one is a little bit different. It's tackling mm-hmm. some bigger themes, some yeah. moral dilemmas. It's the, it's the most amount of research that I've ever had to do for a novel (laughs) as the most intimidated I've ever been by my own novel. And so when I was talking to my publishing team. That's interesting. Having read all
0: your novels, I will say this book is different. I loved all your books, but this book is different in a really great, yeah, in a great way. Yeah, for sure. It's more,
1: I think it's more just kind of mainstream contemporary fiction. It's trying to tell a, a bigger story. It's still got the elements of- There's nothing book. just it, about this. You said just, just- Just. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing just about this book. <laughs> it's it's extraordinary. It's, oh, well, thank you. I think it's, I mean, it's a bigger story. I was trying to tell a bigger story. It's a story. big story, so yeah. Jody Pico was, was one of the names that kept coming up with my publishing team. And um, when I approached her and she agreed to read it, I I was so nervous and I wasn't necessarily- expecting to ever hear back. <laughs> I just figured if she read a few pages and she didn't like it, you know, that would yeah. be the end of it. And I would never ask again because I couldn't yeah. bear to hear that. But she I heard back from her within like twenty four hours. She read it on oh. she back when we could take flights, um this was pre COVID, yes. she read it on an airplane. She read it in one sitting on a cross country wow. flight. And so yeah, that day for Jody Picot to Email you and say I read your manuscript in one sitting and I loved it. That's that. Yeah, career highlight. Amazing. Yeah. At that point, yeah. I was kind of like, you know, we don't even need to release this book. I'll just know that. that right. I'll <laughs> just, I'll just have this happy little
0: blurb and and I'll My be happy. Life is yeah. Complete. Yeah.
1: But we are we are grateful that
0: you went ahead and released the story. So you give your elevator pitch for this book, because I don't want to do a disservice. <laughs> and I also don't want to give any spoilers.
1: It is hard a little bit hard to talk about this book without
0: spoilers. Yeah. Right?
1: We can talk yeah. about some little baby spoilers, maybe. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. A Million Reasons Why starts when two strangers, adult women with their own families living in two different states, are linked um, as half-sisters by one of those male-in DNA test kits, which is happening (laughs) to a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Well, I thought that was so interesting, right? Because it starts out as a Christmas gift that one of the women's husbands sort of was like checking off the the boxes for here. Here's what we'll get of everyone for Christmas. And he gets everyone the DNA kits. And then little did he know what it was really going to lead to. And I thought, well, this is really that is something that could happen for sure. Very believable premise.
1: What I've noticed in real life is that people either take the test, um, for kind of a loaded reason. Um, so yeah. either they know, or they suspect that there might be something out there to find. And so yeah. when they find it, it's kind of an answered prayer. Um, yeah. like they threw this hail Mary and someone actually caught it. Um, right. and then there are the people who just took the test on a lark. Maybe it was a Christmas gift. Maybe they're into genealogy and they wanted to know in what percentage Irish they are or something like that who get more than they bargained for so I really wanted to tell a story that was one of each so that's exactly what we have in a million reasons why we have one half sister who grew up with a single mom always knew that she didn't know her father so obviously there's at least one family member out there who she does not you know she doesn't know if she might have siblings or half siblings also but she knows she never knew her father and she has a lot of really complicated loaded reasons for taking this test, one of which is that she is chronically ill with mm-hmm. chronic kidney disease. And there is a chance that she's maybe going to need a kidney transplant and maybe need to find a a, le- a living donor match. And no, none of her existing relatives are a match. And she really is very uncomfortable with taking the test for that reason. She sort of lets herself yeah. be talked into it. Her doctors and her, she's a young mother, she's got a Toddler. She's just gone through a divorce. She just lost her mother and her her best friend and her ex husband are really pressuring her to do what needs to be done and just at least take this test and see if she can find more family members. She's completely uncomfortable with the idea of not only reaching out to someone and saying, "Hey, I think you might be my sister," but also saying, "And hey, I think I might need a kidney. (laughs) Would you be willing to get tested?" But she really lets herself be talked into it because she's interested on the personal level she's she's a very leading a kind of lonely isolated life and the idea that she maybe could have more family is what's appealing to her and that's kind of why she lets herself be talked into taking the test and on the other side we have caroline who's like a working mom of three she's an event planner and she's she's in this nuclear family where her parents are really involved in her life her in-laws are really involved in her life they're the kind of family that all gets together for dinner every sunday and If she can't get her kids from soccer practice, she'll call her mom or her mother-in-law and they're all really kind of in each other's business and don't think that anybody has any secrets, which of course they're about to find out that that's not true.
0: (laughs) So many secrets, so many secrets and so many twists and turns in this book. They're not expected. It doesn't matter what you think you're going to find out when you start this book. There are just so many surprises and it really... I mean, it really is a page turner in, in in its truest form. You alluded to Caroline, so we've got the two half sisters. See, is Sela how you want us to say her name? Is that yeah? That's how I was saying her name in my head. So Celia is one of the half sisters, right? She she's the one with the chronic kidney disease, and then Caroline, Caroline, and Walt. Caroline and her husband Walt, they have such an interesting relationship. And you you alluded to this sort of like, they have this like, you know, kind of storybook uh, marriage and kids and the extended family and everything is, is so pr- picture perfect. And as their story unfolds, they have such an interesting relationship. And I don't want to give any spoilers away about their relationship and how they first came together. But I do want to talk a, a little bit about how you got the idea for writing carolina and waltz love story
1: they do have a different sort of marriage and it's interesting yeah. when we were chatting before we started this conversation you called it romantic and i've had other people say that too like wow their story yeah. was really kind of unexpectedly romantic but it doesn't yes it doesn't start as super romantic they kind of enter mm-hmm. marriage as more of a partnership and yeah I guess I'm, like, very consciously. I mean, they have some really honest conversations up front about their expectations from their marriage that some couples never have. Yeah, Um, yeah. And it it is kind of in a weird way the results end up being kind of romantic in a way that sort of sneaks up on them. Yeah, their marriage is one of the things that's going to end up being put to the test by Caroline finding out that she has a half sister finding out that her parents maybe have kept some things from her because all of this stuff kind of sends Caroline down this path, really both sisters in different ways, but Caroline down this path of sort of the road not taken
0: you know, yeah. like
1: how, because just sort of realizing how different her life could have been if she had known, cer- known certain things. Right. And maybe choices that she would have made differently if she right. had known di- certain things. And Walt is kind of one of those choices. I'm interested in writing about marriage because I think it's really interesting. I think I find myself, especially I read a lot of historical fiction too. And I find myself thinking about how much our expectations on marriage have changed over the years. You know, what you used to want from a husband was really just kind of a breadwinner (laughs) and a good guy. And now you expect the person you're with to be your soulmate and also your best friend. And I think people sometimes expect too much. They expect the person there as the rest of our worlds have shrunk and people aren't necessarily as involved in their community the way they used to, or, you know, or a church or an extended family, the way they used to, uh, we put a lot more expectations on our spouse, and yeah, I don't know how fair that is. And um, so, those are things that Caroline and Walt are very aware of and talk about before they even get married. I don't know; it is different. It, they were a lot of fun to write. I can imagine, and yeah,
0: I mean, that's the thing. There, they are the product of numerous choices that have been made that you necessarily excluded other choices and then sort of like when that curtain kind of lifts and you sort of think about it and look at it that way it's really it just becomes a really interesting relationship and that storyline becomes a really interesting vehicle to explore you know a lot of the themes in this book that include you know forgiveness and truth and like all the different versions of truth that exist. One, one of the things that I think is so interesting and I told you this that before that I think one of the things that makes this story so interesting is there are so many waves of complicated emotion and forgiveness was like a big thing when I was thinking about this book and when I was reading this book. So, you know, I feel like each, each and every character does things that you're like, Oh, you know, or or you find out they've done things that you're like, Oh, how could they have done that? Right. And it's sort of like, as a reader, I was like, there were moments where I was really uncomfortable with myself thinking to myself, like, why am I being so judgmental? Right. Because then (laughs) these like other like layers are getting pulled back and you're like, Oh, well, well, this is why they did that. Or this is why they, you know, and you sort of, there, there were really these like moments where I was like, wow, I really was like facing down. Okay. There are some real shades of gray to all of these ideas choices, conversations, choices. And I thought, you know, I actually thought it was like a really amazing thing that you did. Reading this book forced me to think about gray areas of things I would not have thought about without reading this book, which I thought was really interesting. So do you, have you always had sort of a nuanced things are gray, not black and white view of a lot of these moral issues?
1: Yeah, I tend to think a lot of things are gray. I think very little in the world is actually black and white. I also like to write about, you know, people always talk about their stories as plot-driven or character-driven, and I, when I land on a story idea, I very often am writing toward more of a question that I don't yeah. know the answer to. Yeah. Whenever <laughs> I'm writing from a question that I do know <laughs> the answer right. to. You know, there's something about a million reasons why that makes you ask yourself what you would do. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because it, it is so plausible that people are getting these phone calls out of nowhere <laughs> that right. they have right. an right. unexpected result from this test. Maybe that is part of what makes it we all are hearing those stories so often in the news, sometimes with really remarkable results. And some of them are really moving. So I don't I don't know if it's that it is something that's sort of in the in pop culture and in the headlines right now. But there's just something about this story that when you're reading it, it's not so much, I wonder what this character is going to do next. It's more like, what would I do? You yeah, know, and there are that. no easy there are no easy answers.
0: Yeah, I felt that. that. And there are there are twists and turns in this book that like we said are are totally unexpected and totally surprising but exciting and because this is I know how this book ends podcast, we always talk about spoiler free how the book ends. So this book of course, it comes right down to the very last page and it is a surprising ending and I couldn't help but think, you know, was that always the ending The, you know, right down to the very last page? Was that always the ending that you anticipated for this book? Did it change at all during the writing process, during the editorial process, or was that always going to be how this book ended?
1: So there are two fairly big twists near the end yeah. of this story. And one comes before the last page, maybe at about... Yeah the 75% <laughs> yeah, yeah. of the book. That twist I knew when I started. Yeah, okay. So that one I was writing toward, but I actually okay. did not know exactly Ah. how the story was going to end I think when I was about halfway through I figured it out I'm not an outliner I'm not a linear thinker but I like to know roughly where I think something is going so it was enough for me to know mostly how it would end but not exactly how it would end but I think by the time I was about halfway through and it's really it's interesting it's the minor character who the minor characters who maybe you haven't if you're not an outliner like me, the minor characters who maybe you haven't thought through all the way, those were the ones who kind of helped me decide the ending. One in particular, as I was writing, yeah. as I was at the midpoint, I was thinking this character is going to need some kind of redemption or yes, everybody is going to end this book. very mad at this person. (laughs) And um, so not that I, you know, I I try not to be too nice to my characters, but sometimes, you know, you don't, I don't, I take no pleasure in writing irredeemable characters either.
0: Right. Well, that's the thing. This book is not, there's certainly not a feeling of like, uh, oh, we tied everything up in a bow. And isn't that neat about this, this book? I mean, it definitely doesn't have that feel at the end and yet a completely satisfying ending. So that is, you know, a really hard thing to achieve. And when you get to the end, you're just like, I wouldn't have known that was how it was going to end, but of course that is how this is supposed to end. And so it just for me as a reader, and I always read everything as a reader and a writer, right? But for me as a reader, it just felt like, oh, okay. And so, um, yeah, so I just congratulate you. I think this is really, like I said, I think this is definitely going to be one of everyone's favorite books of 2021. It's just, it's a beautiful book. It has so much, um, so many layers, so many amazing characters. And it is a book that you will spend, you know, a long time while you're reading it. And I'm sure a long time after you're reading it, thinking, thinking about it, thinking about the characters, thinking about their choices and thinking about what you would do too. So I'm really grateful, Jessica. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about this book. Um, Thank a million you million much, Amy. why it's available now. And I always say just because it's fiction doesn't mean it's not true. This is a book that has so many relatable (laughs) themes and so much, so much to draw from it. So I'm just so grateful. Thank you so much.
1: I hope that it's a hopeful story. I think that's what we all need right now.
0: So yes, I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. Thank you so much, Jessica.
1: Thanks, Amy. This has been fun.